Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Anita J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, November 14th, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in page, in chapter 11, A Vision for You, on page 157, beginning with the third paragraph, which starts, Hopelessness was written, reading through two paragraphs, ending with, I drink like that, and commenting on both. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Beth W., the 12 traditions, Naomi B., and readers of the text this morning are Rocky E., Jen A., and waiting in the wings because you never know is Rachel W. The share ID for Tuesday, November 13th, for the 7 a.m. meeting is 12,171. 12171. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, it was 12,173. 12,173. And our newcomer greeter this morning will be Hoodie R. And our host right after this meeting is Leah S. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose Always, fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Beth W. to read Overeaters Anonymous 12 Steps. Hi, this is Beth W. from North Dakota. Can you hear me okay? Yes, Beth. Thanks. Um, Thanks. And uh, here are the 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. <coughs> Excuse me. 
five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks for letting me do service and have a great day. Thanks so much, Beth W. And I will now ask Naomi B. to read the 12th step of the 12 traditions of OA. Thank you, Anita. Good morning. It's Naomi B., a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader outside Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted service. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in the matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. <clears throat> Excuse me. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group would never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. <clears throat> Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issue, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, Public relation policy is based upon attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at a level of press, radio, films, television, and other public means of communications. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions. Ever remind us to practice principles before personalities. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thanks so much, Naomi. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press 
star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we resume our study of the big book and we are on page 157, beginning with the third paragraph, which begins, Hopelessness was written, reading through two paragraphs, ending with, I drink like that, commenting on both paragraphs. And I'll now ask Rocky E. to get us started. Rocky, press star one. Anita, can you hear me? Now I can, yes. Oh, great. Okay. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you, Anita. Um, Right. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, Oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here, I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me. That's me. I drink like that. Oh, wow. Hi, this is Rocky E., grateful, recovering, compulsive orator from New York. And what powerful words. Um, These are familiar words to me. Very familiar. I've heard these words in my head for ever so long. Listening online hearing people share their stories, reading this, 165 pages, identifying, and just falling right back off the bag wagon. And um, feeling very familiar with these words. Um, You know, I'm a goner. You know, it can happen for others, but it's not going to happen for me. And and it took coming, coming back and showing up and listening in and hearing other people's stories and then working these 12 steps with prayer and uh, an action and a complete action because it was just constantly a repetitive behavior of thinking like this, feeling like this, going back to self-will, feeling the fear, falling off, feeling like a goner. And it was the constant, you know, repetitive behaviors. And it kept getting me the same results of insanity as long as I continue to do those behaviors. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's strong words. These are very strong words for me. Um, you know, how many times I've heard stories being shared, paragraphs read, um, listening in on podcasts and going, yep, that's me. That's me. Oh, my gosh, that is so me. Wow. And feeling a sense of relief that there's identity with others. You know, I'm not the crazy nut that's just alone in this, but there's just, you know, identity with people going through this and following all the way through and what did they do and working this program and hearing it over and over again. Get get, get those 12 steps going. Get into it. Spiritual experience is the only solution to this disease. Um, and hearing it for a while and liking what I'm hearing and liking the results and somehow going right back into it until a bottom was hit. And this is what this sounds like. This sounds like a good bottom. Um, You know, not until I hit that bottom was I able to do something different and gratefully get different results. So um, definitely strong words. 
You know, the fear is in these words. Clearly, there's so much fear of of knowing the results of repetitive behaviors, knowing the results of staying in self-will. This, to me, speaks of, you know, complete self-will of trying to fix it and trying to do something on my own and just continuously getting the same results. So not until I prayed really hard and showed up with the willingness and did something different that I actually get the gift of something different. And I got the gift of getting recovered. And for today, I'm very grateful for that. Thank you. Thanks so much, Rocky E. All right. Opening it up now. Three. Katie S. Boston. Katie S. and Katie Devon. Barbara E. Tina S. Harlan Okay, hold on. Harlan, Barbara E. And... uh, Right after Siobhan, who was that before? Um, let's see. Tina S. Tina S. Reba Vasa. P. Oh, okay. Reba and Vasa. Let's stop right there. Reba P. and Vasa O. And I think there's one here that um, just shout out if you if I missed you right in here. We have Katie G. Um, the other Katie, um, Siobhan, my handwriting is going, Tina S., Harlan, Reva P., and Vasa O., but there was a name in there. Who's the other person? Okay, maybe it's not. Good. All right, Katie G., you go ahead. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, my fellows. This is KDG, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic. Yeah, I mean, how many times did I have complete hopelessness and feel like I'm a goner? And and literally, I remember um, before I went to the hospital, I was afraid to leave my house. I, I, I didn't. I, I knew that unless I went to a hospital, I, I couldn't leave my house. Like, I, I didn't know how to live. I just had no idea. And what's amazing is that there's there's kind of a shift, the start of a shift, right? Hopelessness is just that despairing, that like, you know, I don't, I can't even, I, I'm not even dying. I'm dying a spiritual death, um, but my bottom keeps getting lower. My morals keep getting lower. I, you know, there is no, there is no bottom for me. I just keep digging and um and that willingness for me is overrated. Like the only thing that actually motivated me was this hopelessness, this desperation. And what I love is this me too factor, right? Like that, that um, I call into the line and I hear women talking about exercising to the point of, you know, broken bones, osteopenia, amenorrhea, um, you know, using laxatives, Ipecac, all the things that I did. And there was a me too factor but was what was different for me than just going to Weight Watchers or going to my eating disorder group is that it wasn't just that they were saying that they did those things. It's they were saying that they did those things in the past and that they no longer did them. They were talking about these attitudes, actions, and behaviors that were in the past for them. And, and I didn't know how to breathe without shoving something in my mouth or asking it to release. And you know, I have to be honest, for me too, um, 
the hopelessness of abstinence. You know, when I was clinging in early abstinence um, 15 years ago and, and just trying so hard to live my life without the food, and it was the most controlled, scary place. It was such a dark, dark, dark place because I had no replacement, and I needed... I, I desperately, you know, I held people hostage, and I, and, I, and I thought I was a goner too, right? I thought I was a goner too. But the amazing thing about Overeaters Anonymous and about our Healthy Vision for You meeting is that I have not had a day that I have been without hope. And I, like all of you, have walked through challenges that have brought me to my knees, not nose messy crying. And there is always a reason to get up again. Over and over, there's always a reason because there is a solution, entire abstinence. And these 12 steps brings me a hope that I've never had in my life. And it is carried by this message from all of you and God willing, a message that I have the privilege of carrying if I stay clean and sober, praise God, in these 24 hours and work this program because my life depends on it. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie G. Uh, Kate, Katie, who's, who, which one is this? Wasn't there another Katie? caring things. All right, then Siobhan, and then it'll be Tina S. Hi, hi did you call Siobhan? Yes, thank you. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, good morning, your family, and um, thank you so much to everyone who does service. Uh, so when the so the, the it's, you know, in the second paragraph, I love that. For an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me, that's me, I, I, I compulsively eat like that. And we were told on page 89 that ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them, and this is all in quotes, if you wish, but it happens that because of your own drinking ex experience, you can be uniquely useful to other compulsive overeaters. Because for me, I need to know in order to identify that you have had that problem, you have to have eaten like me. Like if I know you just, oh, you just snack on carrots and you overeat carrots. I mean, I don't, you know what I mean? Not to minimize anyone who binges on carrots, but like I need to know that you can't handle your sugar and your flour like me and you are in, insane around it and you can't stop when you start. And you, but sometimes you do start because you have this belief that you can handle it and, you know, I need to know that first before I'm willing to sort of listen to you and identify. But then once I know that, you know, it was so reassuring to hear people talk about not being able to control these, um, you know, eating compulsively. But then also I heard different kind of compulsive overeaters, kind of like me, where I can do anything compulsively. Like I can do the carrots compulsively. There's nothing else to eat. But I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to go for the sugar and the flour first, right, as a compulsive overeater. Thank God I got recovered. And um you know, and it and it tells us that this this phenomenon of craving is limited to this class, right? So that um, you know, it's it's very um, you know, it's and also, but it tells me that um, wait, hold on, sorry. It tells me that um, it, much is much talk is about the mental state which preceded the drink, and this is something I needed to understand where it said you know, the man was told, was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered. I didn't get what my real problem was. Like, I thought my problem was sugar and flour. I thought my problem was everything that I overindulged in because I suffered from not enoughism. I could never get enough. But I learned on page 66 
that it tells me the word poison that I suffer from is um, it says, if we were to live, we had to be free of anger. The grouch and the brainstorm were not for us. They may be the dubious luxury of normal men, but for alcoholics, these things are, po these compulsive overeaters, these things are poison. So it's telling me there, oh, that's my problem. Like I'm, I've got this mental state that I don't handle resentment like a normal person. Like a normal person will get angry and maybe tell me to F myself or go to a therapist or just let it go, right? What a concept, let it go, let it God. But like I, I had to go eat a pie. So it was like, you know, I've heard the saying, resentment's taking, like taking poison, expecting someone else to die. That's sort of how I was. I was like, yeah, I'll get you. And I was stuffing, you know, two-handed, you know, pies, cakes, everything in sight. Not enough, you know. And it's still, and that's the thing. It was the mental state that preceded that. So I, what it taught me is, oh, I got to do my four-step, but I got to get to one, two, and three first. Thank you. Fine. Thank you very much. Um, Tina will be next, but before I mention Tina, can folks try to just focus on these two paragraphs? We want to give it the importance that it really fits into our, our recovery. All right, so Tina and then Harlan. Good morning, Anita. Thanks so much for your service. Tina S., Recovered Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Yeah, wow, some great stuff. Heard some really great shares this morning, and I'm so grateful to be on the line. And, you know, I'll get on board with everyone. You know, I, too, uh, love the second paragraph where it talks about, yeah, that's me. That's me. I, I drink or eat like that also. You know, and even when I'm listening on the phone, you know, my head is nodding up and down. Yes, 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 I can certainly relate. I am so grateful that I can. You know, and it just reminds me of early on in the big book where it talks about one alcoholic can help another alcoholic when no non-alcoholic can. And the reason, you know, the, the sole reason is because we share the common problem and we also share a common solution, which I'm willing and able today to carry that message because someone was able and willing to carry it for me, you know, and what, and that's the great news. And the solution being, you know, the 12 steps, a spiritual awakening, spiritual solution, you know, and I didn't come here for a spiritual solution, but as long, by the time I stayed and wasn't getting any result from what I was doing, I, w I was ready and willing bring it on, you know, and today there's a transformation that comes about that I don't have to eat like I used to, that I don't have to act like I used to, that I can be a part of my life today, that I can be a part of society today, that I can be on the line today, you know, and, and nod and say, yeah, that's me, that's me. But today, you know, I have a solution so I don't have to act that way. That'll pass. Thanks. Great stuff. Thanks so much, Tina S. All right, Harlan, and then it'll be Reva P. Thank you, Anita, and thank you to Team Wednesday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. In 1983, late spring of 1983, after a couple of years slipping and sliding around in OA, I was admitted to a hospital for staph and cellulitis infection. When I came into the hospital, I was 513 pounds, and I remember they said 513, but when they wrote it on my chart, my friends showed it to me, they highlighted the weight, and they wrote down, this is not a mistake, this man is huge, and it hurt me, and it hurt me to the point where I was almost in tears. 
but it did not hurt me to the point so that when I was released from that hospital, after 15 days in the hospital, 15 days, you know how sick you got to be to be in the hospital for 15 days? I went right to the nearest convenience store and I binged my brains out on the way home from that hospital. I thought that these, these thoughts, I thought that these behaviors around food were secret and unique unto me because I seemed to be the only one who ate the way I ate that I knew. Even the people in OA were much, much thinner than me. And I had no hope. I had no hope. And then one day, I went to a Thursday night meeting, and I heard a speaker, and she told my story, and hope started to spring. <clears throat> I started to realize I wasn't alone, and I started to understand that if this person could recover, and these other people could recover, then maybe I could too. And that is a gift that only we can give to the newcomer. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I've been sick. Or we can give to the person who's still in the rooms and who is suffering. And we can give it because we speak and understand the language of the heart. We are the only ones that speak it. We are the only ones that understand it. We can give a person hope. To the world, you may be a person. To the person who is suffering, you can be the world. You can light them up with your story because you have a story of recovery if you are in recovery. If you are abstinent and working the steps and you have a story of recovery, you can save lives. If you're not abstinent, you're not in recovery, then, you know, that's a whole different matter. But this is the language of the heart, that identification. That's why Bill's story is chapter one, because we need to identify in. I'm going to go die. With that, I'll pass. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. Take care, Harlan. All right. Reba and then Vasa. Reba P. Good morning. Hi, it's Reva P., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. Uh, two things struck me. First of all, hopelessness. You know, these two paragraphs um, are showing me a case example of the first time the methods that Bill and Bob um, used worked, and they had sort of a, a recipe of how to go about this business. And what was the first key ingredient? Like, what was the click for me? Um, it wasn't about how much weight I had lost or had gained. It wasn't about um, how bad things got. It was how deep my desperation was. So hopelessness is such a turning point and that gift of desperation. Um, and that's only something that the disease does for me. It gives me that gift of desperation. Um, and then he was ready and open um, because he talks about being uh, afraid. That didn't help him get sober. Um, he was a smart guy. He was a lawyer. That didn't help him. It was mostly about getting down to the bottom. Um, and that hopelessness, you know, when I first came in, I didn't know that other people did this. I didn't know that it was, it had a name. 
I certainly didn't know that there was a solution. And I remember crying through my whole first meeting. I don't remember anything that person said. All I know is I was able to identify. Um, and it was the first time somebody put into words what I was doing. And then they weren't doing it anymore, which gave me so much hope. And the second thing that really struck me is, you know, the guy says to him, I'm afraid to go out. I'm hopeless. I don't know what to do. They didn't start giving him a lecture. They didn't start giving him a whole theoretical explanation about addiction and alcoholism. They told him about their experience. And that just um, highlights for me that teaching moment and how to work with others. That the first thing, the first thing I need to do is talk about my experience just like other people did with me because the first thing is for somebody to identify in. And then they explain about the twofold nature. And then they talk about the spiritual experience. And that kind of method works. Um, it worked with me, and it's showing me that it works with others. Um, and with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Reva. Fasa, good morning. You are up. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive Ovita, call, calling from Florida. And this is the way I felt before I came to my first OA meeting, hopeless, powerless. I was a goner. Everything I did to control the food, it, it just didn't work. It was going to kill me. I was, uh, and then I started identifying with people, and I was saying, that's me. That's me. I am one of you. And again, there was a person that already 12-stepped me a little bit for one week before she brought me to my first meeting, and she did tell me about allergy. She did tell me about the obsession of the mind. I had no clue about any of this stuff. I needed to be educated. And then finally, finally, I found hope where I had lost hope because I remember thinking, I'm, I'm just going to die fat and miserable, you know, if I kept on going the way I was going. So I just was so ready and I was just so willing to surrender to a higher power, a God, the 12 steps, anything, as long as it was going to help me. And it was a promise. My sponsor said, you know, if you do this, your life is going to get better, not with just the food, with everything in your life. If, you, if we followed the directions the, the way they laid out in the big book and worked the steps the way they laid out, one step at a time. And I remember saying, I mean, to me, I didn't think it was a gift at that time. How can I put this, my alcoholic foods that I love, and how could I live for the rest of my life without them? But it was possible. I could do it one day at a time one meal at a time, and then I trusted God. I trusted the program, the 12 steps, that it, my life is going to get better in everywhere, emotion, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. But the trust became very gradual for me, and it's by the grace of God. <laughs> the food is not even a problem today, but I work it. You know, I took the action. It was like working like a part-time job for me. You know, I threw myself into the program and the 12 steps, and I still do. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. 
Thanks so much, Sasa. All right, opening it up again for names. Lisa B. Kelly Barbara. Barbara. Okay, Nancy wait, Larry, wait a minute. Larry wait a minute. I've, I've Ross got five here. Barbara. No, I've got six. Okay, that's it. Nancy I've got T. Bar- I've got Lance L. Barbara E. and Nancy P. Nessa R. Okay, I think I think I've got too many people here, but let me just see because there's a name again. I'm missing one name. It's Lance uh, L. Lisa, not you, Lance. Nancy B. I mean, I mean Nancy P. Lisa B. Uh, Barbara E. Russ M. Nessa R. Lance L. But there was another person, wasn't there? there? Kelly S. Kelly S. Okay. Larry K. It. Larry K. Larry K. Yeah. Okay, I have him in here. Thanks, thanks. All right, Nessa. Nessa. Um. No, Lisa B. And then uh, Nancy P. Go ahead, Lisa B. Um. Can you hear me, Anita? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Great. Thank you so much. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville. South Carolina, and thank you for your service. This is such a powerful reading. And I was listening to all the shares, and all of a sudden this this thought, this really big thought came in my mind, and I wanted to share it, and hopefully it will help another person. So the hopelessness, um, hopelessness means a feeling or state of despair, lack of hope. Um, I have to always be in touch with that hopelessness. And, you know, this illness that I have minimizes things. And if I start engaging in those behaviors, um, like, you know, licking the spoon or if I'm making a salad, sticking the food in my mouth before I, you know, sit down to eat the salad, all those things, and I can minimize them and think, I'm doing okay, I'm doing all right. Um, I don't know. That That's what I wanted to share about, just how that – a middle of the road solution, I can go back into that place and starting to think that I'm really okay, I've got this, that this is this is okay. You know, maybe it was a hard time I went through. And um taking my foot off of the gas pedal and just coasting, starting to coast and starting to let resentments sit in there and not addressing them. Um not taking on sponsees, um, not taking 10-step calls, like, oh, I want to listen to the meeting. I don't want to take this 10-step call. Um, Not doing my meditation the way it's described in the big book, not studying the big book with someone um, that's new. All those things go in, and the hopelessness is starting to come on me, but I don't know it. It's a slow burn. It's a slow, slow burn. And every day I need to be in touch with that hopelessness, but I'm not always. So um, I love the description in the big book of how to stay recovered, how to stay abstinent, how to stay recovered. I was able to get abstinent. I could never stay abstinent. I used to think abstinence was the whole big thing, but now I know abstinence is the key to get in the door, but the whole big thing is about my relationship with God, and that comes through enlarging my spiritual life through working with others, staying on top of those 10 steps all through the day. Even the small little puny things, it seems so nothing. I need to do 10 steps anytime I'm disturbed. So um, I need to just be in touch with that hopelessness because that deep and effective spiritual awakening, spiritual experience that I so need it starts to dwindle and, and soften and 
just go away. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Lisa. Nancy P. and then Larry K. Good morning. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, thanks. Hi, thanks for letting me share. Uh, Nan- <clears throat> Excuse me, Nancy P. from Boston. You know, I this whole idea of hopelessness, my OA pedigree is platinum. Just trust me on that. And I've been in for a really long time. And I had heard my story told over and over and over again. And, you know, I sort of sat there like, you know, Homer Simpson, you know, not like not getting it at all. And it didn't matter, you know, like how how would I have known that when I made that phone call after Thanksgiving last year to my friend, you know, so desperate um, that this new phone number that was going to work because, you know, I had it could have been like all the other things that I tried, changing meetings, changing food plans, joining meetings based on that had abstinence requirements, uh, you know, like going to more meetings, fewer meetings, my own favorite, personal favorite, changing sponsors. You know, I had, and I had gotten on my knees and asked with and without tears, the same as with and without a solemn oath, um, to please, please help me. And I had heard so much that was me, but still it sounded like, the problems were solved, and it wasn't for me, only them. And finally, the disaster that brought me back to um, to make that phone call, it wasn't like I was willing. It wasn't like I fell to my knees crying. It was like I got hijacked, forced to my knees, blindfolded with a gun to my head, and said, okay, I surrender. I'm ready. And, you know, that flinging myself out of the airplane, I – was, you know, caught and held, embraced, and all, every single one of the promises in this program have come true for me. And, you know, I was talking with a, a dear friend on, on the line, and, and you know, she had said that if God can solve the seemingly hopeless problem of her own compulsive overeating, then there's nothing that it can't solve. There's nothing that can't be solved. And, You know, I have to say that, you know, I was not exactly dragged kicking and screaming. Like I said, I was hijacked and forced to my knees with a gun to the back of my head. And, you know, never one to, you know, ignore a message. That's me. You know, I finally surrendered. And um, the problem has been solved. And um, I can't say enough about that. I mean, I pinch myself daily, and I'm coming up on a year of abstinence, December 1st for the first time in over 45 years. So, um, you know, I came in with a kid. I know I sound so young and beautiful, but um, I came in when I was a kid. And um, now, I'm a, you know, now I'm, I call myself a crabby old hag. That's what I say to my kids. And, um, you know, and I'm not a crabby old hag. Thanks, Anita. Um, I'm, I'm just wonderful. And thank you all so much for your, for your message. With that, I'll pass. Okay. Thank you, Nancy. All right, Mr. Larry. And then Hello, Anita. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Um, Larry Kay, um, recovered today. You know, we, we read, this, this is really encouraging to me. This guy's saying, yes, that's me. I drink like that. I, I remember, I, I felt, when I came to OA, I felt such shame, horrible shame. It was my secret. 
And I couldn't believe when I heard so, some of you people that were, t you were telling my story. I, you were telling it in public. You know, you, I, I heard a guy who said that he had, he, he shared that he had crossed over a four-lane highway to get, into, get to a Dunkin' Donuts and almost killed people. I did that. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I heard other people talk about getting up in the middle of the night going down and opening opening the uh the, the you know the freezer and getting out a half gallon of ice cream and and eating it finishing it oftentimes i did that who's going from i i didn't want you to know that i was driving from one fast food restaurant to another to another ordering as you know ordering as if i'm ordering for my family but then i was going to eat it and i would pull behind a a grocery store. Have you ever pulled behind those stores? You know, the, the, and it's it's dark and and there's no one around typically. At, at you know certain times of the day, I heard people tell that story. I did that. Who does that? I ordered. I heard another person talk about they they knew me. They ordered from they ordered uh, from one you know from from they ordered pizza from different places, as if the the pizza delivery person gave a crap of, you know, they were happy to get my tips, but I ordered from different places because I felt such shame and I'm not the only one. See, all these people were sharing that. I bet Bill and Bob were sharing that with this guy, right? Their stories. And he's like, that's, just, that's like me, just like me. And you know what the one thing was, the common denominator? They weren't doing that anymore. And I heard people in OA that weren't doing that anymore. How, how did you, how is that possible? Well, we have a spiritual program of action. Trust in the process. Buckle in, baby. If you're in, it can happen for you too. I don't do those things anymore. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. All right. Um, uh, Kelly F., and then it will be Russ M., Oh, oh, excuse me. I, no, wait a minute. I forgot somebody. Barbara E. and then Kelly S. Barbara, you there? Oh. What happened to Barbara Thank E.? Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, this so speaks to me. When he said he was doomed, he was a goner. That's me. When I stumbled into OA 50 years ago, I was eating out of the garbage, hiding food all, <clears throat> me, all over the house, eating while driving, going to the bakery and buying goods for a party, and I was the only one at the party. Eating, yes, I did like I just heard. I would pull around to the dumpster, eat all the food, and then hide the remnants. Doctors were warning me, and they called, they wrote down morbidly obese on the charts. I hated those words. So when I stumbled into OA 50 years ago, I heard there was hope for me. I didn't feel hope. I felt hopeless. But I heard I needed a food plan. I needed a sponsor. I needed the tools. And I could do it. And yes, I did get abstinent, but I was white-knuckling it. My fingers were hanging on to the edge. I knew I wasn't happy. I knew something was missing in my life. 
I wanted to start feeling more at peace with myself in the world. So I took a new kind of sponsor, one I'd never heard of before, who said I needed the steps found in the big book. And I listened to her as if my life depended on it, because it did. And in fact, I've done those steps more than once. I go for my annual OA wellness checkup every year, just, just like I go to my internist. I have learned unwillingly at first that I must be personally, spiritually active every day, taking my spiritual pulse, living in steps 10, 11, and 12. Abstinent, absolutely yes. I write down my food. I measure my food. I even still call my first food sponsor, but always reaching out to another suffering member to share my experiences, to offer service, working with others by reading and guiding them through the steps, paying it forward has transformed my way of viewing the world. When I work with sponsees, I learn and reinforce my program over and over again. It is my duty, my honor, my obligation to carry the message of hope to other suffering compulsive overeaters so they can stop wearing washcloths wrapped around their legs. And what do I get? I get so much more than I give. The warning in the book says, if I don't live in 10, 11, and 12, I might go out and eat again. And my Mm -hmm. disease is still out there doing push-ups. So I have to build my spiritual muscle by carrying the message of recovery, of abstinence, and spiritual transformation available to everyone. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you. All right, Kelly S., and then Rethlin. Thank you, Anita, for your service. It's Kelly S., Recovered Compulsive Eater in Oklahoma. Okay, well, I'd like to tell you I'm weller than I am with my ego and these shares, but truth is um, Nancy P. pretty much told everything I was going to say. She told my story. Of course, we all tell each other's story, right? But um, I just have to share um, pretty much the same stuff, but um, hopelessness was written on my face. Yeah, I like everybody else that's been sharing on the lines this morning, you know, when I came in these rooms 30 what, 36 years ago, um, it was a great connection, and I needed to hear people, you know, did the things they did with food, bulimia, um, exercise, the insanity around all that, because, you know, it was my dirty little secret, and um, I needed that connection, but, you know, I continued to struggle, and so, um, you know, what made a difference for me, you know, was like, when I started listening to Vision for You about six years ago, right after they start, we started this meeting, um, you know, and I heard people, other people on these lines who were sharing their stories of relapse and relapse and relapse. And, I'm, and, and that's me. That's me. I relapse like that. I've been around like that forever, you guys. I was hopeless. I was afraid to go out the door. I knew there was no other place for me. I just kept listening. And, you know, and I finally had a little teensy, weensy bit of hope when I started listening to Vision for You. And so, but like somebody else shared, uh, listening to meetings doesn't get you recovered, right? It's desperation. You know, yeah, we have to have some willingness. I'm not going to say that, but as we know, it's overrated. What 
So people call me all the time, what made it different? My disease made it different, my desperation, you know. And so I listened to these meetings for two years obsessively. Guess what? Didn't work. And like everybody else, tried to find the perfect sponsor. I've had some of the people on these lines, you know, the voices. I've had some of those people be my sponsor. That didn't fix me. You know, I've had amazing food plans. That didn't fix me. So what fixed me? Taking action, getting in the book, working the steps, doing what it says in the black and white instructions that I was sure wasn't there, you know. So, yes, the meetings are super important. I had to have the hope. I think it's important for us to share, not just to the newcomer, but for that person still suffering. I finally feel like I have a purpose. I can tell somebody, you know, it took me 33 years, you know, until I finally became willing enough to work these steps. You know, somebody else has shared. It took them 40-something years, but it gives that person hope who thinks, you know what? There's no way for me. There is. We're only seemingly hopeless. But um, just keep coming back. Yeah, just keep listening. No, that won't fix you. But at some point, God willing, and if you get desperate enough and your disease kicks your butt, you'll put this food down, like it says in the doctor's opinion. You'll pick these steps up, and you'll start working it. And guess what? It is a freaking miracle. I can't even believe it. Grateful to be here. Thanks, Anita. Thank you, Kelly. Russ and then Nessa R. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, fellows. What a great meeting. What an awesome – all these shares are just so awesome. And this uh, – Russ M. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. This chapter is just tearing me up. It's just hit me in the heart, and um, I'm very emotional. You know, this hopelessness, before I came in, you know, I, I had nothing. I had nothing. I, nothing would fix me, just like that was said. You know, I never admitted this to, to anyone, to be to be honest with you. And I'm I, not even my wife, not my closest confidants. But you know, before I came in, almost two years ago, my my thought process was that I was a mistake, that I was an accident. I could never. I I just couldn't do things right. I couldn't live life. I could not manage. I couldn't survive i had nothing i had nothing i thought it was over man i thought i was going to be this way for the rest of my life or i was just going to die young and not just with the food not just with the food and you know i'm actually glad for about that you know there's a blessing in that hopelessness and desperation i got on a podcast you know i start snooping around about oa because maybe i needed it i don't know anything i could do to try to get me out of this hole and i heard Two men on a podcast. One I like to call my godfather, and the other one I call Ace. It changed my life. It changed my life. It propelled me to go to a meeting and say, I have hope that there's a little bit I I can experience in life. There's things I can offer and help people. And I'm not a waste of a life. Really, if it wasn't for that podcast, I wouldn't be speaking to you guys right now. And God negotiated that. He orchestrated all that. And because of that, I came upon this meeting. And I was introduced to the big book in a way that, just not on the surface, not on the surface. Now it's a part of me, and it's changing my life because it's bringing me closer to God. And what God wants out of me, not what Ross or the world or the guy next door wants out of me. It it is revolutionary change. It's incredible. 
I thought I had nothing. I thought I could give nothing. I thought I was just an existence. And because of this program, and those guys in 1939, those alcoholics, those people that spread this book all over the place, this program all over the place, I could talk to you guys now. I could say, man, you know what? I could stand up with my head up a little bit. And I could now use my experience to help someone else. Let God work through me. That usefulness. It's incredible. I just want to thank you. And you don't know how much this line, this time, has helped me. I love you guys. Have a beautiful day. Thank you, Anita. Thanks. Thanks, Russ. Um, I'm afraid, Lance, we're not going to get to you. We've got to end with Nessa R. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And just like everybody who shared before me and and probably everybody on this line, I I, I felt the same way um, as Bill Dodson did. And, um, you know, not only for the first 38 years of my life before I came to program, but even after I came to program, my first nine years, um, I felt that way to the point that that phrase um, on page 58 and how it works that says there are those who are constitutionally incapable and uh, uh, reverberated in my brain and I thought I was um, you know constitutionally incapable but what I thought I was constitutionally incapable of was um, of recovering of recovering uh, that I would never recover I was constitutionally incapable of getting this program of you know, um, putting down the food and keeping the food stopped, you know, um, until uh, I, I met somebody in whom the problem had been solved and she took me through um, through this program the way it's meant to be taken. And I, and I realized that there, are, um, that there was a sentence right before this, this uh, phrase of uh, being constitutionally incapable that says, those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. And I realized that the reason why I wasn't recovering, I wasn't being able to put the food down and keep it down was because I was not giving myself entirely to this simple program, you know, um, originally because I didn't know, you know, um, I didn't know about the allergy of the body. I didn't know about the obsession of the mind. I didn't know about the need for entire abstinence in, in order to arrest the al- allergy. And I didn't know the need to faithfully work the steps in order to um, deal with the obsession of the mind. But even after I found out, um, you know, for about a year, I still continued to do the same things, not giving myself completely to this simple program. But once I did, you know, the results were unbelievable. You know, not only the weight came off really without effort, without me even noticing um, in a way, um, but it was just so easy. And what did I do? Give myself to the simple program. And what's the simple program? Identify honestly and thoroughly what are my binge foods, my binge ingredients, and my binge behaviors, and get rid of them, you know, promptly and without regret. And then work 
through the steps as outlined in this big book, the way it's meant to be. And then um, I arrived at the solution that I have now, which is, you know, the sense of ease and comfort that I, I, I get from going to God at once, you know, whenever life happens, you know. And I do it through the working of these steps right. every single day of my life. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, Lance. Hopefully you can stay on or call earlier tomorrow. Um, so I am going to uh, thank everybody who has shared and to tell you that today's uh, ID code for, t- for what we've just uh, been through is 12,181. 12,181. And we're going to close now with a reading from the big book on page 164, uh, A Vision for You, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And uh, will Jen A. please read A Vision for You? Good morning, Anita. Can I be heard? Yes, thanks, Jen. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Jen A., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bleemic from Littleton, Colorado. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we only know a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to yourselves. Clear away the wreckage of your past and give freely of what you find and join us. We will be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.